0: As the, the lights come up, so that you can look in your Bible with me today. As they do, I want to tell you about a few things that are coming around the corner. Believe it or not, this is the last Sunday we have in the first quarter of 2022 like this is this is it next sunday starts a new quarter and so when you arrive next sunday in the connection center out here are going to be our core our q2 guidebooks so if you've been with us since the beginning of q1 we know that we started this year talking about how we are part of a bigger relationship and today we'll talk about the last part of that series starting next week we'll talk about how we're part of something bigger we're part of a bigger family talking about what it is like to be a part of the family of the lord jesus christ of our god in heaven and so um, our q2 book if you didn't have q1 just so that when you see this it 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 looks like a, a lot here to do but every week there's weekly ways that you can practice just walking through i don't know if you're a list person most men we're not list people, but we need a list to keep us in order, you know what I mean? We just don't make them. Well, this is a great thing to do. Each week, you're going to have challenges of memory passages, just some practices to keep your relationship with God fresh. But going into Q2, um, our weekly practices aren't going to be done in isolation. We're going to be talking about and, and challenging one another how to encourage one another in godliness, how to encourage one another in prayer, how to encourage one another to run hard after Jesus Christ. Because Uh, Contrary to popular demand, God didn't make you for isolation. In fact, the more I read of of monks and people who have lived in isolation most of their life, the more I realize that is not God's design for us. He has made us for something so much better. And so we'll be jumping into that next week. And so next week when you get here, uh, they don't cost you anything. Uh, We'll be going through this together, but make sure you grab your Q2 Um, Book. We will have them if you have a child in 6th grade and under, we actually have Q2 books for kids. So you can all do it together, the Bible verses are the same, Uh, and so uh, it's pretty powerful, I want you to be looking into that. Um, We're going to be looking in this last week, really about being a disciple. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to be in three places. The first place we're going to start off at is in Hebrews. So if you can turn your Bible, you're going to look in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, we'll be in verse 14. That's where we'll begin today. But we're literally going to spend time in three pretty stout passages. So we're going to see, you know, how long you've been in church. You know how long you've been in church. You have more ribbons in your Bible. You know, that's how you know, right? We count your ribbons in your Bible. But we'll be in Hebrews chapter 12. Then we're going to jump and we're going to spend just a few minutes in Genesis chapter 25. And then we're going to finish the sermon today in 1 Peter. Okay? So... Hebrews is is in the New Testament towards the end, Peter is really close to the end, really close to Revelation, and Genesis, that's the easy one, it's all the way to the left in the beginning, okay, so that's where we're going to be setting our framework today as we talk about being a disciple, and as I started to to prepare for this sermon, I didn't know when all of life was coming, what was going to be happening this week, um, as we continue to, to see the war in Ukraine go on and, and spin coming from all over the world, um, and then in our own culture, we're, we're having some identity crisis going on, and, and as I started to look through this, I, I really started to wonder if we were getting distracted um, by some extremes, and what would it be like if we were to just start breaking life apart a little bit so that we could focus where, where we can actually impact and change things. Um, some of the headlines this week here at home um, just deserve to be touched on. This week we 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 we've had a lot going on. A new Supreme Court justice is going to be uh, sat, and and one of the questions asked was, could you define a woman? And and the the judge was unwilling to do that. And and unwillingness was one thing, but the way she responded was something else. And and then just two days later, a lawmaker says it's no longer accurate to say boys are boys and girls are girls and and we can hear things like that and we start to think oh my lord we have just gone to hell in a handbasket as a country when we can't find some basic stuff but I really started to journal about this and I started to kind of get away from the spectacular and here's some notes that I wrote down when I start about thought about this slippery slope when we look at culture and we remove ourselves like we're on the outside viewing culture like, like some foreign planet, you know, some Marvel character or something, almost some deity-like idea where cultures like here and me looking in, y'all, man, this is really bad shape. This is what I wrote down. When I think about gender and defining oneself, I thought, to, to define my own gender is to reform creation and to deny my author, right? To to, to say, I am in charge of telling you what, what I am, like it's my opinion, that's to define or, or redefine a reformed creation and to deny the author. But then I took a step away from that, maybe a little bit towards me a little bit more, so to speak, and, and hear that correctly. Because really we've been talking a whole lot about sexuality for a long time, haven't we? We've been really talking about sexuality and preference and am and, and, and I made that way or am I not made that way? And then it became it doesn't matter if I'm made that way, it's, it's me and those kinds of things. And when I, when I started thinking about sexuality and putting that in my hands, I wrote this, to rewrite purpose is to devalue the author's intent. To rewrite purpose is to devalue the author's intent. In fact, I, I started thinking, whatever your favorite book is, Um, If you're like me, you try your hardest not to read. So let's pretend your favorite movie, right? Um, Someone wrote a script for that. And the author says, ah, at the end, I want the good guys to win. Well, to rewrite that story to where Darth Vader's the hero of all the Star Wars episodes, the author would say, thanks, but that's not my story you totally devalued my work. But when we, when we start moving out and away and start talking about sexuality, as if we are the author, then what we start doing is to, we, rewrite, we rewrite our purpose and we devalue the author. So then I took a step closer to me again, and I wrote the word fornication. The word fornication just means to have intimacy with someone who is not betrothed, who does not belong to you, who is not married to you. That's been way more acceptable for a whole long time. You know, it's been, we can can go back decades for that. That that stopped being the problem when we started talking about sexuality. And sexuality is not as much of a problem now that we're talking about gender. But if we keep stepping back closer and closer, I wrote this. To redefine delight is to ignore the author's best. To redefine delight is to ignore the author's best. So so if I say that, listen, the the Lord says, I have made man and woman to become one. And that oneness I'm making something new and it it's the best. Well what what fornication says is "Eh, ah I can rewrite that. I can redefine delight and just push you off. And and all of a sudden we start moving a long way from culture And I take this last step towards self. You see, when what I think is what matters most, this is what I wrote. I recenter the author's story. And there's the problem, isn't it? See, when I recenter the author's story, I'm not concerned about the author's best because the story is around me not the author anymore and so sexual sin is no issue when I recenter the author's story and I re-de- redefine delight then rewriting the purpose in sexuality is no problem because I'm the center of the story and as long as the, the main character is feeling well and whole and healthy then I, I keep going from it when, when I am the center of the author's story then reforming the author's creation, their words it's really not that hard and all of a sudden I'm no longer looking at some culture on a planet way out here going I can't believe you and I realize that the sin culture of self that lives in every man, woman, boy and girl that's where it all begins and if the author could just wipe away that sin if the author could just have a people holy unto himself who didn't engage in that sin then those steps of rewriting and redefining reinventing repurposing they wouldn't even be a conversation are you following me church see today what we're not going to talk about is what culture is doing we're going to talk about what it looks like for you and I to live a life of holiness before the living God and along with Him. Because that's what's different. That's where life changes. That's where we see the stark difference of Jesus Christ from a world that thinks of grace only 60 seconds after sin has been committed. That's where we find a life that's not always in the trenches thinking of hope only as an eternal state and we show the world what it's like to live as a living hope in the shadow of our living hope you see we we can't push god's word out here we have to pull it here first jesus doesn't say don't help your neighbor out he just says don't pull the speck out of someone else's lie i until you've done what pull the log out of your own listen Bad church usage of of scripture. If someone says, well, listen, don't pull a speck out of my eye. What you need to be saying is, man, I've been pulling logs out of my eye all week. I was just trying to help you out while I'm doing some surgery here. You see, what God has called us to do is to be different. And that's what in the book of Hebrews we find the writer writing about Hebrews chapter 12. If you have your Bible with me, you can look at that. We'll start in chapter... 12 and we'll start in verse 13 as we or excuse me verse 14 today as we go down to verse 17 as we start taking a look at what it's like to live a holy life as a disciple in good relationship with God. The Bible says this. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We find this passage, and we're not going to—we're not trying to, to destroy it and just chew it up too much today. I just want you to look at verse uh, 15, and, and I'm talking about this passage that starts with, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness, which is, actually feels contradictory. What we're going to talk about today is how that's not contradictory, but instead that's how we're supposed to live life. But we're going to not start in verse 14. We'll come back to it, but we're going to start in verse 15, because one of my least favorite words is in verse 15. Read it with me. See to it that that no one fails. Listen, who hates failing? I don't mean like, oh, I just, uh, I like trying, I don't mind, try and try again. No, no, who despises losing in this room? You are my people. You are my, I, I absolutely hate failing. So when I read in the scripture, see to it that no one fails, like that strikes a chord in me. Now, I want you to know something, parents. This is Great Parenting uh, 101. You can't get away from it. Your children reflect you. Amen? If like if your kids, they have a problem with their language. Y'all follow me? Right? If your kids have a problem with their temper. Right? So when you look at my children, their strengths and weaknesses... They reflect well let me say this their strengths reflect my wife and their weaknesses reflect me no no they reflect us but man when it comes to failure connor at nine years old we've gone rock climbing together and he wants to climb you know connor at nine i don't know how tall son i apologize somewhere in here at nine years old he wants to climb a wall where he physically couldn't do a handstand on one and put his foot on the next armpit. Like he can't do it. And I'm telling him, son, you don't need to try that. It's not going to work. And he's like, Dad, oh, I know I can do it. So I said, Man, I'll give you $10 if you can touch it. 30 minutes later, I said, Son, we are leaving. He's like, If we're leaving, I didn't quit, you quit, you owe me 10 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> proud and angry simultaneously right he just didn't want to fail he wanted to obtain what was out there for him church I don't want to fail at being a husband a father a pastor a friend I don't want to fail at being a coworker, and I surely don't want to fail at obtaining and wrapping my arms around the grace of God that has been freely offered to me Are you with me? At all the things I hate to fail at, I don't want to fail at grace. And even more so, I don't want my arrogance, my sin, myself, my cluelessness, my ignorance, I don't want it to get in the way of you obtaining grace, the grace of God. See, The sin of self, unaddressed, is dangerous to everyone in your circle. Here's the perfect example. Read a little bit further when it says in verse 16. It says, See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal, for you know afterwards... We he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, even though he sought it with tears. So if you have your Bible, you can go to the story of Esau, Jacob and Esau. That's Genesis chapter 25. In Genesis chapter 25, we get the story. You can look in verse 29, and we'll read the little short clip there. You hear the story of Esau. Now, if, if you don't know who Esau is, that's not a problem. Esau is a brother of a guy named Jacob and and Jacob is important but I want to start back at the beginning because Jacob and Esau's granddad is Abraham okay and Abraham is a guy for no particular reason unto himself that God called and gave a promise to make a people that one day God would save all creation uh, through redeem creation through in Jesus Christ and that was Abraham and Abraham had a son and his son's name was Isaac okay and isaac was his son and carried the promise through him there's a great story you can kind of read their history there isaac had two sons jacob and esau and esau twins was the older one right he was the older child than jacob just by a moment And, and in that because he was the older one It means that he had a birthright that Jacob wouldn't have. That's why it was really important they would tie a a ribbon around your, your hand or your foot. Because a birthright meant something, especially in the culture and the life that's being lived here. Because your birthright meant that you, when dad passed away, you got a double portion. If all the other kids got a single, you got a double portion. In other words, you were going to be made sure that your legacy, you were the part of the family that had the best shot of making it. In fact, when dad died, the firstborn, the birthright, would be in charge of the whole family. He he would have the responsibilities of taking care of people. He would be esteemed. His whole life he would be looked up to. This was a blessing that just built every day. And one day in the future, you would be a recipient of the goodness of this birthright. Well, there was one day when Esau went hunting and the birthright came into play. Genesis chapter 25, verse 29 says it this way. Once when Jacob was cooking stew... Esau came in from a field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, "Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted." Therefore his name uh, was called Edom. Verse 31, and Jacob said, "Sell me your birthright now." And Esau said, "I'm about to die of what used to me is a birthright." And Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright uh, to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. And Esau despised his birthright. See, the, the story looks like, like this. Esau was really hungry. Have you ever, moms, you ever been here? Like your kids came in from playing and, Mom, oh, I'm about to die. Right? can I have some ice cream? If you want ice cream, you're not about to die. And I just call like it is. You're like, if you're about to die, you're saying, can I have water and anything of sustenance? Not ice cream or jujubes, right? So, so that's the, what's going on. Esau's just exhausted, so he's like, oh man, give me the stew. He hasn't been hunting for like months. He's just famished. And Jacob, who's not always a great person, and that's why I love the story of Scripture, it doesn't hide the flaws of sinful men. He sees an opportunity, and he he wonders if his brother's dumb enough to fall for it. And he says, I'll tell you what, bowl of soup for your future. Esau says, sounds like a deal, man, I'm about to die. Here's what happens. Esau values himself how he feels the passions of his heart the things on his mind the things he can't get away from more than the fullness of his future see that's how sin works sin starts to say satisfy me now because i don't know about tomorrow i can't get past it it blinds us to it If we were to go back in the the book of Hebrews, we would see the picture of that play out. What Scripture says is when you and I follow sin, that we find ourselves, verse 15, not obtaining the grace of God, and this root of bitterness springs up and it starts to defile everything we don't even see it anymore what does scripture say that Esau despised his birthright it just every time he thought about it it irritated him have you ever had something in your life like that have you ever had someone in your life remind you of your failures like every time you see them you're reminded of this I don't know how you picked names for your children but when we picked names for our children, we were going through the list, and if a certain name came up, Christian and I would go, no. Right? Like, what's wrong with that name? Well, there was this girl in fourth grade. Did you do that? I mean, maybe we're weird like that, but we we had when we when we saw their names, they reminded us of something, something we were wrestling with, a bad time of our life but but in this, what bitterness does when we fail to obtain the grace of God, because we are thinking about this moment and we are trading tomorrow because we can't get past this stinking hurdle today I would I would give up everything just to get past this moment just to get past this person just to get past this sin just to get past this thought in my head whatever it would take i would forfeit it for that moment when you and i live in those moments i want you to know you are failing to obtain the grace of god in that moment in bitterness church it starts to take over It starts to invade every area of life where there is a trap. All of a sudden, trouble seems to find us. And when we look out the window of our life, all we see is the reflection in the glass. I started to wonder about that as we were looking at this passage. How amazing it is that sin comes in and all of a sudden, When self is my world, strive for peace with everyone. I'm not even at peace with myself. Or maybe I feel like I'm at peace with myself, but I don't know how to have peace with anybody else. Church, that's the fruit of bitterness. That's the fruit of sin, self, whether we recognize it or not because bitterness starts to interrupt every thought. We go for a moment, but then we're drugged back into it. I have a great friend. He's an incredible godly man. His children love the Lord. He's taught Bible study for years and years, decades now. And I remember him sharing his testimony with me one day, and he said, you know, David, long before I ever knew you, I was an alcoholic. He said, I didn't have a problem with alcohol. I was a flat-out alcoholic. He said, let me tell you something that was going on in my mind. I didn't like the feeling of sober I didn't like it and so anytime I started to feel sober I desired more alcohol so I wouldn't feel it again see church when, when self is our focus self for Jesus that's just you pretending to live a righteous life pharisee okay when self is our focus all of a sudden holiness is a word we say for sunday the Lord seems so far away that self-satisfaction is never enough, but I need one hit after another, one after another. And I don't like the way it makes me feel afterwards, but at least for a moment, it makes me feel something. So I indulge in this sin. I indulge in this sin. I overlook. I ask forgiveness. I indulge in this sin. I beg on my knees, Lord, I'm sorry, and then I indulge in this sin because I just keep needing the hit of self over and over and all of a sudden bitterness is pervasive the Lord seems far away I don't want to look my eyes at Him and even as a believer I'm despising my birthright why did you put me here God why do I exist why did you put me through this how am I going to overcome it I can't get out of it I don't like the feeling of guilt don't like the smell of repentance so I feel horrible but hit me again you see church that is the way of self but God designed you for more you see the story of Hebrews here is to strive for peace Striving doesn't mean sit back and take a float down the Guadalupe River for peace. It means work your tail off. Strive for peace with everyone and holiness. That's in your relationship with God. If you have your Bible, we'll we'll slow down today looking at 1 Peter. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, because this is where it all starts to come together, church, because God did not design you for one hit after another. That is the lie of the enemy, because he desires you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, to never have a relationship with you. And if you do know Jesus Christ, he desires to make you a poster boy, a poster woman, of how weak the power of God can look. wants to pretend and show the world a lie that there is nothing to be found in a relationship with God but here's a secret sin creates a chasm that you were not designed to explore and Peter writes some words and tells us how we can pursue the Lord verse 13 read the verse 15 and then keep your finger there we'll come back to it therefore preparing your minds for action be sober being sober minded set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance but as he who called you is holy you also in your conduct stop with me for a second what does it look like for a believer to strive with peace what Peter would say is it starts with this and there's a lot in here but set your hope on God's grace the the word set your hope is is, the best picture I could give you would would be like sticking a, a stake in the ground and holding on to it with all you've got that would be this idea of, of set your hope and, and knowing as long as I am grounded, as long as I'm in the dirt, as long as I'm in the sand here, I, I, I will not only endure, but I will come out of this on the other side and see the beauty of what's ahead of me. When when Peter says, set your hope on the grace of Christ, what he's saying is, every day, set your hope. Put your stake in the ground. There is grace in Jesus Christ that has been offered to me buy him for free i just have to set my hope on him church you are not an immovable rock i I would hate to take a tally of sins in this room because i feel like mine would be as big as anybody else's and, and that's not supposed to be true of the pastor but let me tell you what that reality has proven that my rock is insufficient to set a stake in for for, for my future. That if my hope is planted in David Adams and the good things I've done versus the bad things I've done, then I am going to blow away and I'm going to find myself rolling back into a life that is pretending to be full, but living for one hit after another just to feel something. What Peter says is church... You prepare your minds for actions, and you be sober-minded. How? By setting your hope fully, leaving nothing else. Men, your wife, are not your hope. Women, your husbands, are not your hope. Your hope fully set on the grace of Christ means everything I will ever need must come through the filter of the author, the creator. No one rewrites the story. No one redefines the words. No one reforms the purpose. If you want to strive for peace with others, then you must know the peace that says, all that I am is in the dirt at your feet. I love what Peter says. He says, don't just set it hopefully, but you set hopefully on the grace of Christ. What he's saying is God is offering you something for free, and he doesn't let it be thrown in the mud with this garbage of sin in your life. And so listen, you hold on to it and let him blow it away. Let the winds and the righteousness and the perfection and the puring fire of God, let it cleanse you. And you keep holding on because that is grace. Somewhere between leaving sin behind and knowing the grace of God is a word that every believer should know and everyone who doesn't believe should listen to. It's the word repentance. And repentance, like a refiner's fire, it burns. And so to repent and to live in peace with God You have to hold on knowing that the grace of God is actually burning away the buildup in your life. And that in just a little while, you will get to see what's on the other side. Peter says in verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, be also holy in your conduct. If you want to live at peace with God, be willing to live the uncomfortable i don't know who the last humble president of the united states was if you think of a humble president this will be fun with you because i i played this earlier right thank you abraham lincoln that's what i thought who was the last humble president here was my thought with you joey here it is I think the presidents that were dead long before I could have had someone give me a firsthand account of who they were, that they were probably humble. Humility is not esteemed in this world. Let your conduct be differently because I have nothing to be proud for but the grace of God. Think about the things that you esteem in your life and the things around you. Our world does not esteem self-control. Because that doesn't make you the center of the book. Our, our world does not esteem church stewardship and grace. It's, it's greed, and then greed allows you to be generous. So it's a, a, a warped greed, right? The ends justify the what, church? Did yeah, that, that hurt saying church? A little something? tells you to do what Christ says is those who live at peace with me they strive to live at peace with others but not by abandoning their hope on the grace of God I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know where you are in your walk. Maybe today is a beautiful day and your spirit in the last three years have been incredibly wonderful. Maybe today feels like you have found yourself in the bottom of the dark chasm of sin that you were not made to explore and you don't know how you got there because the blood of Jesus Christ drapes your shoulders and somehow you're stuck. What the Lord says is strive for peace and do so. By setting your hope on grace lean into his grace, learn about his grace, read about his grace experience grace, I was listening to you sing in worship this morning and and there are moments where I don't want to sing because I just want God's grace to like surround me in our voices set your hope fully on his grace and live a different conduct, verse 16 through 19 says this It says, Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile way inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb without blemish or spot. How do you live a life of holiness? How, how does it start? We can write books and books and books and it would never be enough. But I can tell you where it begins. Value your life by the price that pay, was paid for it. See, here's what I know about unholiness, sin. is that when I measure my life by my worth, by my failures, by my sin, by my my, uh, faults, I don't believe I have anything good to offer sinner, but my problem is pride. Because I see all the good that God is doing. I just need to make sure I know it's the blood of Christ, not me. To live a life of holiness, remember that you are worth the price paid for you. The son of the king of kings and lord of lords. And if you have forgotten that today, during our time of invitation, church, get on your knees and let your hope. Fully be staked in the grace of God. And don't let go. And let him bathe you and wash you. But bend your knee. And if you do not know the value of life, then let me introduce you to him I